It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Right now, though, we are monitoring uh, our D.C. Bureau as our Peggy Collins get ready, gets ready to sit down with the head of the FTC, Lena Khan. Let's take you to D.C. FTC Chair, thank you so much for your time today and for joining us. Thanks for having me. And it's actually, fun fact for all of you, it's the 109th birthday of the FTC today. So happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, a joyous joyous occasion. (laughs) So, Chair Khan, let's start with the news because there's a lot of it out there today. Just hours ago, the FTC dropped a case against one of the world's biggest companies, Amazon. And in the case, you allege that the company is monopolizing the online marketplace in a way that's harmful for consumers and for sellers on the platform. But Amazon's already come out and said it's going to fight you in terms of challenging the case, and that the case is a radical departure for the FTC from its core mission of protecting consumers. What is your strongest argument in the case? So look, this is a case about a set of unlawful tactics that Amazon has used to maintain its monopolies. Um, We note in the complaint both a set of anti-discounting tactics that Amazon uses to punish any seller or retailer that dares to discount, and ultimately these sets of tactics deter sellers and retailers from lowering prices and closes off an entire dimension of price competition. The other set of tactics we note is a coercive scheme that Amazon uses to effectively require sellers use its fulfillment service. Um, And this, in turn, ends up stunting the development of independent fulfillment providers and ultimately also deprives actual and potential rivals of scale. And that's really the core theme here. Um, These are a set of tactics, but ultimately Amazon has pursued them to deprive actual and potential competitors of the ability to gain the scale and momentum needed to effectively compete online. And having achieved and protected its monopoly power, our complaint details how Amazon is now exploiting that monopoly power in ways that harm customers, both the sellers, the tens of millions of American families that use Amazon to do their shopping, but also the, um, uh, sorry, the, both the shoppers, but also the sellers, the, the hundreds of thousands, the tens of thousands of, of sellers that use Amazon to access uh, those shoppers. And it's done that through actively raising prices. Uh, Amazon takes close to one out of every $2 from sellers that, that use its platform. Uh, it's also degraded its service by adding a whole set of pay-to-play ads that make it more difficult for consumers to find what they're looking for and steers them to higher price products. So uh, really encourage everybody to to read the complaint. It details all of this conduct in great detail, and we're really looking forward to moving forward with it. So one of the things in the complaint is this phrase structural relief, that you're seeking structural relief in this case, which implies a breakup. What would that look like? 
So at this stage, the complaint is really focused on the issue of liability. Uh, we lay out a scheme that we believe violates the U.S. antitrust laws. Uh, what we note in the complaint is that these different aspects of Amazon's scheme have an aggregated effect. So the harm is accumulating. There are feedback loops between the harms. And so the net exclusionary effect of Amazon's conduct is quite significant. Um, ultimately, we'll want to make sure that any remedy is halting the illegal conduct, preventing a recurrence, and ensuring that Amazon is not able to profit and benefit from its illegal behavior. So right now, we're squarely focused on the question of liability, but uh, when we get to the issue of remedy, those are going to be the principles we'll be focused on. So just staying on the issue of remedy for a minute there, what do you think the company should be doing differently? So the complaint lays out a set of tactics that we believe are illegal and that are illegally elevating and inflating prices for the American people. So at the very least, uh, any relief would require that the company halt those tactics. But as I noted, uh, effective relief also needs to be restoring competition to this market, uh, which we'll be asking the judge to do as well. And when you think about the prospect for winning the case, how would things change for consumers and sellers if you do, in fact, win? So this case is ultimately about competition and competition that has been foregone because of Amazon's unlawful tactics, as the complaint lays out. Uh, as a result of that, people are paying higher prices, right? Consumers are paying more than they otherwise would. Small businesses are having to pay a 50% Amazon tax right now. And so ultimately, the complaint is seeking to restore lost promise of competition. Greater competition will mean lower prices, better quality, better selection, uh, and greater innovation. And that's ultimately what this case is about. So Amazon will say that it's providing a platform that has a mix of products on it, but also when it comes to merchants on its platform, it's offering more and more services to them, shipping, delivery, advertising, in terms of why they're, um, like, the charges that they have. How do you respond to that? So the complaint really goes in, in some detail about the different ways that this you know, tax effectively has been increasing steadily um, and the way that that can be evidence of direct evidence of monopoly power. Um, interestingly, at various points, Amazon did experiment with giving sellers more leeway uh, to use Seller Fulfilled Prime. But once Amazon recognized that that would threaten its monopoly power, uh, it switched that off, even though sellers were effectively meeting the same standards that, that um, FBA does. So, uh, you know, the complaint really goes through all of this in, in great detail and lays out why we believe these are unlawful tactics that are hurting the American people. And you mentioned just a bit ago paid advertising that Amazon's doing more of this, and that comes up in the complaint as well. What concerns you there? So look, ads can be useful. Ads can be relevant. Uh, what the complaint surfaces is that Amazon has used ads in ways that actually degrade the experience for shoppers, uh, that make it more difficult for shoppers to find relevant search results, and that actually steer shoppers to higher-priced products. So that's actually a degradation of service that we claim is also direct evidence of Amazon's monopoly power. Uh, you know, in a competitive world, if you have a company that's both hiking prices and worsening services for customers, that's the type of situation that should create an opening for rivals to come in, to attract business, to grow. But it's really Amazon's uh, exclusionary scheme that is keeping that from happening and what's enabling Amazon to effectively be exploiting its monopoly power with impunity. What do you say to critics who say by 
doing these types of cases, these big swings, that you're actually getting in the way of business and the free markets? So look, this case is entirely pro-business. Uh, it is, you know, tens of thousands of businesses that are dependent on Amazon to reach shoppers uh, that increasingly are paying one out of every two dollars, as well as being subjected to all sorts of, you know, arbitrary tactics. Um, so we believe that this lawsuit, if we're successful, will actually entirely restore the promise of free competition. Uh, our free enterprise system is one where companies should be competing on the merits and not be able to protect their monopoly power through illegal tactics. If you are successful, just going back to that question about uh, structural relief, could you see a world where Amazon is, you know, not one big company, but has, you know, different parts of it and terms of breaking it up and having different parts of the business be sole entities? So look, we'll want to, you know, get to the question of remedy when we get there. Um, but ultimately, the key is going to be making sure we understand what's required in digital markets to fully compete and what the aggregated harm has been in these markets through Amazon's unlawful conduct and how do we make sure that competition is fully being restored. So a lot of people will point to this paper that you wrote in 2017 about Amazon, and they point to that as, you know, rooted in your approach to antitrust and what you've brought to the job. Do you feel like today, by dropping this case, you actually have come full circle from that paper in 2017? Look, in this job, I'm a law enforcer. I took an oath to really enforce uh, the laws. And this case is the result of really meticulous, careful work by our, by our staff over many years. Uh, we really followed the evidence where it took us. And as the complaint details, uh, we believe there are facts that show Amazon is violating the antitrust laws. And that's what the case is really about. So this is actually not the first case that you brought against Amazon. I believe it's the fourth. And one of the others was more focused on prime services. And earlier this month, you actually added three executives to that complaint um, in terms of the charges or alleging that the company has duped consumers in terms of signing up for prime services, but also made it really hard to cancel. What, was, what message were you trying to get across by adding those three Amazon executives to the case? Look, these are decisions that we always make on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, there's a legal standard you have to meet in order to show that individuals, you know, had the direct ability and authority to participate or direct the conduct. Um, and so, you know, the, the amended complaint really lays out why we believe that's the case. Uh, we want to make sure that we apply the law in an even-handed fashion um, and are not just going after fraudsters and, you know, fly-by-night scammers while ignoring uh, you know, unlawful conduct by larger entities. And so we want to make sure that we're even-handed and applying the law without fear or favor. Before we move on from Amazon, because you've been very busy at the FTC, so there's other things we want to get to, but what's the most important thing you want consumers to take away from how you're approaching Amazon? Because it's so much of a part of different people's daily lives. So look, this case is about the competition that has been lost because of Amazon's monopolization and their unlawful tactics. And consumers should be entitled to lower prices, to more competition, to more innovation. Uh, similarly, sellers should be entitled to greater competition. And this alternative universe of greater competition, greater innovation, lower prices, better quality has been lost because of these tactics. And that's what we're really trying to get justice for. 
So one of the other things we write a lot about, um, in addition to big tech at Bloomberg, is private equity. Um, and the Amazon case that came out today is a landmark case, but you actually have a case that came out earlier this month that involves the private equity industry, which is a first of its kind as well. And in that case, you're really looking at the practice of roll-ups um, in the private equity industry, where they're buying um, multiple companies in the same industry. What concerns you there? So this was a lawsuit that the FTC filed last week against uh, USAP and, and Welsh Carson, the private equity firm. Um, and as the complaint lays out, you know, there was a scheme here to roll up the market. Uh, there was a concerted scheme to do serial acquisitions by a whole set of anesthesiology practices. And then after buying them, raising the price, uh, raising the price for Texas patients, for businesses. Um, and so those are the practices that we're going after. Um, historically, there's been less attention paid to stealth consolidation through serial acquisitions or acquisitions, each one of which may not trigger concern, but where in the aggregate you have a roll-up. And we, so we thought it was incredibly important to be scrutinizing these practices. And as the complaint lays out, you know, this ended up monopolizing all sorts of markets in Texas, ultimately raising prices. We also in the complaint detail certain price setting agreements, as well as market allocation schemes that we think also unlawfully resulted in Texas businesses and patients paying more than they otherwise would have. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. So you also indicate that this is an area that you're looking at and will continue to look at. And actually, one law firm out there said, you know, it's required reading for investors and private equity firms that are pr doing the practice of buying multiple companies in the same industry. So if you're in the private equity industry, where can they expect you to look at next? So, look, we follow where the facts take us um, this this investigation and case was in the context of anesthesiology, but uh, to no secret, there's been a lot of reporting about other areas where we may have seen these types of roll-ups. And so we want to make sure, you know, we're scrutinizing where there may be the most harm. So in the past, these type of acquisitions have gone through. How hard is it going to be for you to convince people to change course and maybe, you know, look at blocking some of these type of acquisitions in the future? So... 
The FTC recently, uh, alongside the Justice Department, uh, rolled out proposed merger guidelines that lay out the kind of analytical tools and frameworks that we'll be using to assess whether mergers or acquisitions violate the U.S. antitrust laws. Uh, in those guidelines, we note that serial acquisitions can also violate the antitrust laws. And when enforcers are looking at a particular transaction, we may look at that transaction not just in a silo, but as a part of an overall pattern of acquisitions. Uh, we also recently proposed an update to the HSR form. Uh, this is the set of information that companies provide to us if they're proposing a deal that triggers notification. Um, as part of that additional information, we would also be seeking a list of prior acquisitions that companies made in a particular market. And so we're hoping that that could also give us more visibility on the front end uh, to be blocking any type of unlawful roll-up scheme and preventing front harm on the front end rather than years later. So as I said, the FTC has been very busy of late. Um, one of the, the cases where you actually had um, a loss and courts pushed back was the Microsoft Activision case um, against that deal. What, are, what is one of the lessons that you learned from that experience? So look, I'm not going to be able to talk about that matter because it's still in pending litigation. But, you know, anytime we, we suffer a setback in the courts, we always look at that very closely. Um, as you know, an appeal is pending. And so we're hopeful about next steps. Another area of renewed focus for you is the issue of labor. So we're seeing strikes across the country right now from Hollywood to Detroit, and your agency announced a collaboration um, or a further collaboration with the Department of Labor recently to look at labor market and antitrust issues there. Can you tell us a little about what you're looking at there and what concerns you? So overall, we want to make sure that we're enforcing the antitrust laws to protect everybody. Uh, that means protecting consumers, but it also means protecting workers. Uh, there has been a whole set of empirical work over the last decade showing that Markets can be highly concentrated in ways that harm not just sellers, but concentrated in ways that harm labor, harm workers. Um, and so monopsony power may be more prevalent than we had previously realized. Um, so that's something that we've been scrutinizing more generally. Uh, the FTC in January proposed a rule that would eliminate non-compete clauses in employment contracts. Uh, we've also pursued enforcement actions that resulted in non-competes being dropped for thousands of workers. Um, so this is wanting to make sure we're protecting workers from anti-competitive conduct and unlawful abuses of monopoly power is a focus for us across the board. Uh, we've entered into MOUs with the Labor Department as well as the NLRB to make sure that we're able to share information as appropriate and eliminate blind spots and make sure we're not just working in silos um, and able to pursue areas where we may have shared goals. And what concerns you most in terms of labor with um, some of these trends that we're seeing, especially since the pandemic, in terms of wages and where the FTC may be able to help there? So overall, we want to make sure that we're understanding what monopsony power looks like. Um, and so in our draft merger guidelines, we, for the first time, lay out how we're going to be assessing whether a merger may undermine competition for labor and for workers. Uh, you know, switching jobs is different from buying a toaster, right? There are search frictions. There are other dynamics that are unique to labor markets. Uh, there are certain metrics that we want to be looking at in terms of impact on wages, but also impact on benefits. 
Uh, we've heard from people that, you know, after certain mergers, the ways that the, the ways that the experience can be degraded for workers is not just through their pay being docked or frozen, but through people having less control over their schedules, right? There are all sorts of ways in which the particular particularities of how monopsony power manifests is going to look different than how we analyze markets and harm to consumers. And so we're doing a lot of conversations and making sure we're hearing from workers to make sure our analysis is really robust in that area. Another area that we write about a lot at Bloomberg is AI. How are you thinking about AI in terms of antitrust and the mission of the FTC in terms of making sure that you protect consumers? So this is top of mind for us across our work. Uh, we've noted on the consumer protection side how this is already providing a lot of concern in the ways that AI can be used to turbocharge fraud and scams in that these tools can really allow fraudsters to disseminate uh, you know, fraud and scams much more cheaply, much more quickly, and on a much wider scale. Uh, we've all already heard about the way that voice cloning can be used to scam people out of thousands of dollars. And so this is an area that we're keeping a very close eye on. Um, more generally on the competition side, you know, we want to be mindful of the ways in which um, these moments of technological innovation can provide enormous opportunity for competition, for new entry. Uh, these can also be moments where incumbents are threatened. And so you need to be very vigilant about unlawful efforts to maintain your monopoly and thwart new entrants and innovation. So those are just some of the dynamics that we're looking at quite closely overall. When you look ahead to the next year, we're going into 2024, there's a presidential election, um, things could change. So when you think ahead to potentially, you know, um, the last year of the Biden administration, or maybe not, but either way, what are your top priorities for 2024? So look, we have a very full agenda underway. Uh, we have a whole set of rules, both on the antitrust side, but on the, also on the consumer protection side that we want to see through. Uh, we're hoping to be able to finalize our merger guidelines and then continue the lawsuits we already have underway and be able to move forward with ones that are currently being investigated in-house. So I want to make sure to leave time for questions, but uh, one criticism that people have of your approach to the chair position at the FTC is that you've been taking some of these big swings, like we've talked about, about Amazon, um, and even uh, reports are out there that some hedge funds are betting against you that you'll be able to be successful in some of these big swings because maybe they're unrealistic. What do you say to people who doubt your approach on this front? So, look, we've been enormously successful uh, on the merger front. We've had around 20 abandonments uh, where parties have walked away after the FTC has filed a lawsuit. Um, more generally, you know, the way I think about efficacy is deterrence. Uh, and we hear a lot uh, from people about how we're having a deterrent effect, right? And in a situation in which you're seeing fewer illegal deals make it out of the boardroom is really proof of concept in terms of how you want to be an effective enforcer. So on the deterrence front, we're quite pleased. Um, we have some litigations that are still underway, and we're excited to see those through. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.